You're listening to The Vine Podcast, episode 119. In order to stand out these days in the food blogging world, you have to get specific with your niche. That's exactly why there has been a trend in the last year or so to start a second niched website, and a lot of bloggers have been seeing success with this technique. In today's episode, we're interviewing a food blogger who started a niched sourdough website and went from zero to one million page views in just four months. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Vine Podcast. I am so excited for you to be tuning in to today's episode because we have the opportunity to chat with one of our former clients and I just can't wait for you to hear her story. We have done a couple of these episodes now where I interview our past clients and In these episodes, I really am just excited to be able to share what has worked for them and what some of the unique things are that they have done with their business because each of our clients is so different, not only because they run a different type of food blog, but also just the way that they run their business in general. And I know that it is so interesting to be able to hear how other people have done things and seen success. So before we jump into the interview, I just want to quickly introduce our guest today. Amy Duska is the content creator behind Little Spoon Farm and Amy in the Kitchen, and she is a certified nutritionist who loves to share her knowledge of sourdough, family comfort food, and delicious recipes to feed your family on a budget. Now, I've already kind of spoiled a little bit of this by saying that Amy has two different blogs, and we're going to talk about how she came around to making that decision to start a second blog and how she saw success so quickly. There are so many good takeaways in this episode. Even if you are not planning on starting a second blog, you will definitely walk away with some tidbits of just things that she learned in the process of starting a second blog and I hope that you are just able to walk away with something new and interesting to take and put into action with your blog. So without further ado, let's jump to the interview with Amy. Hey, Amy, welcome to the Vine Podcast, and thank you so much for being here. Before we jump in, I just want to give people a little bit of a heads up about how we know each other. So Amy is a past client of ours. We worked to redesign her blog, Little Spoon Farm, last year, and I really wanted to have you come on today to share a little bit about what that journey was like for you in starting a second blog. And so I would love for you to just kind of start there with maybe a little bit of your journey and ultimately, like, how did you decide to start a second blog? Hi, I am so glad to be on with you today. So thank you for having me, first of all. Um, Well, let's see. When I started my first blog, which I called Amy in the Kitchen, that was back in about 2014. And at that time, the food blogging industry was very different than it is today. I had never heard of the term SEO before. Pinterest was like the thing that was where we got all of our traffic. So I thought the way to make it in this industry was by creating, you know, drool worthy photos. And that got me by for a few years. But as the industry changed, 
my blog kind of stayed the same and it was a little bit stagnant. So about, I think it was 2018 or 2019, I had an SEO audit done on my blog and it really made me realize that my content was kind of literally all over the place. There was no direction. The site structure was horrible. And I had made so many different theme changes and changed hosting services and, you know, installed and deleted plugins and just, you know, other types of changes over the years that I felt like I really needed to start all over again, but this time with more of a clear purpose. Yeah. And I remember you and I had so many conversations over the years about that, like just trying different things. And I feel like a lot of food bloggers kind of go down that route of like having this instinct that like something is off with this site and there's some reason why it's not taking off. And a lot of the time people will feel like they're doing all the right things and it's just not taking off. So I know that's something that a lot of people can relate to, but what ended up, or I guess kind of walk us through that decision and why you ended up deciding to kind of start over because that seems like a big undertaking to start all over. And then specifically, like, what was the biggest difference between your original blog and what you ended up starting with Little Spoon Farm? Okay, well, so yes, when I decided to go ahead and create a brand new blog from scratch, at this point, I had been blogging for what is that? Um, Four or five years? Six year, no, about six years five or six years at that point. So it was really like taking this huge leap of faith to to do this because I'm thinking, am I crazy or what? But the decision really boiled down to the end user. I didn't really want there to be any confusion to someone that landed on my site as to what I had to offer them. Um, after learning about SEO, I not only realized how important things like site structure was to Google, like on a technical level, but ultimately also to the end user. So I realized that for me, and, you know, to get my head around this, you know, site structure and and a focus, I really just felt like I needed to start fresh. And I needed to lay down a really rock solid foundation that could be built upon from there. Yeah, definitely. So Let's talk about your niche specifically, because there's a lot of similarities and I think there's a commonality between your two sites, but they're very different. So will you kind of walk us through like what was Amy in the Kitchen and then what is Little Spoon Farm? So I feel like whenever I started Amy in the Kitchen, it was almost like a hobby type situation. You know, I I knew that I could make money, but I didn't really invest the time and energy into researching like my target audience and ways that I could actually help people and things like that. So, you know, I was kind of learning how to do photography and videos and, you know, just basic stuff like that. Also trying to do all the back end stuff and figure out all the technical stuff. And so without that focus um, and without having defined that target audience, I would just post whatever I was in the mood for that day. So if I wanted cheesecake, I posted about cheesecake or if I wanted a salad, you know, I posted a salad. And so it was never, you know, when I was putting together these recipes, there was never any strategy. Um, They weren't cohesive. So, you know, if I was on, if I gained five pounds and I wanted to go on a diet, then I would put diet food. And if I, you know, it was, so it just was kind of all over the place. Um, I had not followed um, any type of, you know, 
good SEO practices. And so the traffic that I was getting was, you know, I had those two, three, maybe five posts that were literally holding up my entire blog because I had a viral Pinterest pin, or maybe I had um, somebody that featured, you know, one of my other recipes, you know, back then, if you got onto uh, BuzzFeed or, you know, any of the, the online magazines that sent a ton of traffic, Food Gawker, you know, so those were, were where I was getting my traffic. It was almost just by chance. It wasn't any rhyme or reason to it. And that is why my traffic just kind of, you know, stalled. It, it just wouldn't get over this certain level. I couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. But I knew deep down inside that I had to have this target audience, but I just couldn't figure out who I could serve the best. So that's the big difference between my first and second blog. Okay. That's why I feel like my second blog has been successful because I didn't write one word until I had really nailed down who I was talking to. So talk to me about that process, because that's definitely something that I, it was so different working together after the fact of you kind of realizing that and having really gotten so clear about who you were helping and with, you know, what your topic was. And so I would love for you to just share, like, how did you figure all of that out? Like, what was that process like going from, okay, I know I need to figure this out to really having that figured out and being able to like literally plan your entire blog around it? Well, since I knew that I was going to start a new blog, I knew that I had to find a a niche that I was going to focus on. It wasn't going to be just whatever I wanted that day. So um, in the years leading up to this, I had been learning how to make sourdough. Okay. And I was very passionate about it. And I had personally struggled to find a sourdough website that was written for a true beginner when I was first, you know, starting out. And through my own personal process, I spent a lot of time reading comments, you know, on other blogs and watching YouTube videos. And that's kind of like when that light bulb moment happened for me. I was like, oh my gosh, uh, there's people out here that basically just want the cliff notes. And I hope I'm not aging myself with that quote, but seriously, I found out that there was like so many people out there that like me, they weren't really interested in the science of sourdough or they weren't part of that, you know, kind of sourdough hipster crowd, which there's nothing wrong with that crowd. It's just a different audience than I'm a part of. So I kind of figured out that the people that I could attract were people like me that just kind of wanted an easy to understand step-by-step process to make like really good sourdough bread and recipes for their family. Like get me from point A to point B. I don't care about getting that perfect crumb. I don't care about posting pictures of it on Instagram to impress anybody. I just want to know how to do it, you know, without having to really think about a bunch of stuff. And so that's basically what I decided to do. Keep super simple sourdough recipes, you know, give out really helpful material like sample baking schedules so people can, you know, use that to adjust their rise times and things like that. And, you know, that was that was basically it. What I needed wasn't out there. And, you know, I just felt like everybody that I was looking at their frustrations and their questions. And I thought, you know, for lack of a better 
way of saying it, you know, us simple people just want just want to make bread. We don't really care about all the other fluff, you know. So I think that taking time to really research your target audience is key because I strongly feel that with all the competition in the food blogging industry, you really have to self, set yourself apart and you really need to know how to solve your readers' problems if you want to be successful in this industry. Yeah. And I just love that you realize that even sourdough was not small enough because I think some people, when they think about a niche, they think about something that is... and you know this from working together, but I always talk about how there's like three layers of your niche. And like the first is that most of the time it's a food blog. Then there's like the type of food that you share, which for you is sourdough. But then there's that third level, which is like, what is going to differentiate you between all the other sourdough bloggers, which we can talk about this a little bit, but the timing of when you started that second blog definitely helped a little bit as well. Yeah. So I decided to start this blog I started working on it in probably, let's say, uh, September, October of 2019. So it was a little bit for the time. I don't know what you want to call that. But um, so so um, by the time, you know, the restrictions and lockdowns and all that started occurring in 2020, my blog was going and it went from, you know, I started it literally January 1st, 2020. And by May, it, w- it had over a million page views in a month. Okay. So I went from zero to 160 seconds, like literally. And, and the neat thing about that for me is that I went from, I had to change my whole mindset. <laughs> when I first started this blog, I was, I had, it was a little bit more, what's the word, narrow of a mindset because I thought I was going to be teaching people, you know, that were close in proximity to me about how to make sourdough. But what I quickly found out is that the whole world needed to learn this, this uh, skill. And I was bombarded with hundreds of questions a day from people all over the world. And it forced me to understand that there's so many variables that come into making this particular type of recipe. And that strengthened the, you know, content and information on my blog, because I was able to field all these questions. And I had to do a lot of, you know, research myself that I I really didn't know, you know, like, if you live in a in a environment that is, you know, 68 degrees Fahrenheit, versus an environment that's 110 degrees Fahrenheit, you've got really different directions that you need to follow, you know, because it's all about temperature and timing. And so that really kind of propelled our success as well, because I was able to just put more information on there than I had expected at first, you know, when I first started it. So it was kind of um, a wild ride for a while there. So I know anybody else that has a sourdough blog out there was probably like going crazy at that time. (laughs) But that did help as far as, you know, getting getting the blog out there, but uh, we have maintained. And and now that I've had my redesign, which we'll talk about that later, my numbers are even higher. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love that you, 
you know, yes, there's always, and I always like to think about like with food blogging, there's always an element of luck because you can put in the really hard work, but there's always like this mysterious side of food blogging where it's like, you just don't know if something's going to take off. And for you, like that timing, like you couldn't have planned that obviously, but I think the fact that you have maintained shows that you were able to put in the hard work to make sure that your content was really good. And that is what, you know, has sustained your blog, not just the sourdough like phase because like phases come and go. But if you have really good content and you're really specific about who you're helping, that is really what's going to, to sustain it long-term. So apart from sort of the crazy timing of when you started your blog and just all of 2020, what do you really think was the key to the success of this food blog for you? So, you know, besides really kind of defining that target audience, I made sure before I wrote the first word on my blog that I had a foundation, a really solid foundation that I could build upon. So for me, that foundation uh, is a sourdough starter. And then from that, I kind of made like this tree that, you know, had these branches where I made a recipe for sourdough bread and for sourdough pancakes and sourdough pizza and sourdough English muffins and kind of all the basic things that a person could make with that sourdough starter, tortillas, just, you know, the kind of things that aren't trendy, the kind of things that people are always going to look for, you know, and that was, I think, really the key to establishing myself with my readers and also with Google as an authority on sourdough. You know, it wasn't just I gave a sourdough recipe here or there. I I purposely planned out, you know, I think it was 20 different recipes that I knew people would be looking for. And so that in and of itself, that site structure, like I'm going to call that site structure or part of site structure. I don't know what you call it, but then I was able to interlink all of these different recipes together because they made sense. And so not only did that help the reader, but, you know, it helped the blog and it, you know, helped get more page views and, you know, so on and so forth. So when you are first starting out a food blog, you really need to think about having a good solid foundation that everything kind of builds off of. Yeah. And to your point about kind of the opposite direction when you started of it kind of being all over the place. If it's hard for you to connect like the recipes you're posting week after week in your brain, it's going to be even harder for Google or your readers to connect those things. And so I think for you, that definitely created, like you said, that foundation and then everything else built from there and very naturally linked together rather than trying to like figure out how to link all your stuff and get rid of orphaned content and like all of that kind of stuff. It just naturally happened because you had planned from the beginning for it to all connect. So I love that you shared that because, you know, like you and I had talked about, it's not, it wasn't this viral success that like fizzled out later. Like you have really built this platform for yourself and you've established yourself as an expert to where when you post something, it performs every time. And that I think is because of that legwork you did at the beginning. Yes, it's a very good feeling when you post a recipe and it's indexed by Google and you're getting page views on it the same day. Like I can't even stress to you enough how good of a feeling that is. Especially after so many years of feeling like you're doing all the right things and nothing is working. So I, I can totally imagine that. But like we've said, it's it's not just luck. It is 
a lot of hard work that goes into it and a lot of strategy that goes into it. And I love that that has paid off for you. Thank you. Yes, it was a very thoughtful process when starting the second blog, for sure. Do you have any tips for somebody who maybe has, I guess, like a different niche, maybe something that isn't as viral as sourdough that like how they would be able to get to know their audience a little bit better or be able to kind of dig into doing some of that audience research? So I think that, you know, once you find your your general niche that you know that you can sustain, you know, don't just go into something because you think it's the popular thing at the time, you know, or, or trendy. Trendy is definitely not a long-term goal or you know, way to go about things in this industry. But I think really diving deep and trying to find out solutions to problems that your readers have. I think that's really the key. People want, they come for information because they don't know. They're they're looking for answers. They're looking for ways for you to make their life easier, whether that's, you know, you're, you're going to make a really healthy dinner in 15 minutes because you're so busy and you've got to get in and out of the door or, you know, you've got flour, water, and salt, and you need to make some bread. I mean, there, that's, those are problems that you need to have a solution for. So when you are trying to go in and define who your audience is, you really need to see how you can help them. And I I really truly believe that that is the only way today in in 2022 that you are going to be successful in the food blogging industry. I, I, you have to connect with your readers. You have to, to understand them and you have to know what they want. So you can go to other blogs that are similar to what you're looking for and just look through the comments, read their questions, read that's where their problems lie. Okay. In their questions that they give. So you can, you can go to the top 10 results of, of a recipe or a, a question about a recipe and just go into each one of those websites, just read the comments. That's where the answer lies. Okay. It's really that simple. It's really not any harder than that. Yeah. I love that because as, as you know, like it's just something that I feel like I almost have to preach to people, but you know, I always say that like your reader does not need another recipe. That's not the problem that they have. They need something way more specific than that. And if you want to just be a solution to needing a recipe, like it's just not going to be something you're just going to end up getting all of those, you know, random people coming to your site and you're not going to be building that, that community, which is going to eventually stall out your ability to create more content that's helpful. And is going to just be tricky for you to really tap into what that audience needs. So I love that. Okay, so I want to shift into talking a little bit about your website redesign because this is something that I know you did not take lightly and I know you thought about for a really long time. And I know that a lot of our current clients, past clients, future clients can really relate to this because redesigning your website is a big deal and it's a huge undertaking. And so I would love to just start with how did you know that it was the right time to invest in a custom website? So honestly, after I had DIY'd the second logo for my blog within two years, because I just wasn't happy with the first one, you know, it was amateur, very amateur looking. <laughs> and I'm sure the second one was too. But I decided that that part of the blogging process, okay, that side, that part of being a website owner was just not my expertise. 
you know, I think I'm really good at writing sourdough recipes, but web design, not so much. You know, I had the, the audience and the content and I really felt like I needed to have a space that they felt super connected with. So when they came to it, you know, they just wanted to stay there. You know, I had tried putting together different color combinations, you know, doing the logo on Photoshop and all those things, but it just wouldn't come together. It just never had that feeling that I wanted it to have. And so, you know, I reached out to you. I know we talked several times and, you know, just, it's just a big deal to, to take your little baby and kind of hand it over to somebody, but I'm really glad that I did it. Like I can't, I can't even tell you how happy that I am with it. The final product. I love hearing that. So what was something that surprised you during the process of the redesign? Because again, this was something you thought about for a long time. And I know you to a degree knew what you were getting into with this process, but what is something or a few things that surprised you throughout the process? So um, first of all, this process was so much fun. Before we started, I was a little bit anxious because I had never done anything like this before. But just so you know, your team made me feel right at home right from the beginning. And this whole experience was like so organized and so professional. I especially loved that. I think you called it the discovery phase or the, I, I'm not sure, I can't remember what it was called, but it uh, was when we were picking out you know, like colors and, and things like that, because it really kind of opened my eyes to how my brand is perceived by my readers or, or how, or who would be attracted to it. The final design was, was pretty different from what I was expecting, but it is absolutely perfect for my readers. And I remember in the beginning of the design process, you explained that my personal taste may not be the same as what would attract readers to my blog. And this is exactly why someone should choose to work with you because you absolutely nailed the design. It's perfect. And even today, like sometimes I'll go on my blog and I'll just like look at it and I'm like, wow, like I just, it's just so perfect from just every aspect, the the site structure, you know, helping me kind of reorganizing categories and, you know, what was important to put where and I just, I can't say how happy that I am enough. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, yours is definitely a, uh, <clears throat> a team favorite around here, but I, I really love that you, even though you expected for that, like, you know, like you said, we had kind of talked about how it might be a little bit different than your personal taste. I love that you still were able to be open-minded about that because I think even when you were describing, you know, that your reader is somebody like you who just wants to make sourdough without all of the extra fluff and science and all of that stuff, there still is a difference between you as the creator and your reader. And so one of the things that, you know, we always are talking to our clients, like whenever we present something to you, we're saying like, make sure you have your reader in mind as you're reviewing this. And it's a hard thing to do because a lot of the time, you know, there's a huge part of your reader that is a lot like you, but there's that like one degree of difference that could change completely what the direction of the design is going to be. But I just love that you were able to be really thoughtful about how every decision was going to impact your reader, because I think that's why you love the results so much. Because like you said, it's it's your baby. It's the thing that you have like literally built from the ground up. And so you have an attachment to it and that's totally normal. But when you're able to look at it as like, I'm making the best decision for my reader, it kind of, it separates that like, 
attachment a little bit so that you can feel like you're making a really good decision, even if it's not, you know, the exact thing that maybe you would pick if it was just for you. So I just love that that was part of kind of a realization for you. And I love that you're still, you know, that you still love it so much, even though it is something that might is maybe a little bit different than what you would have built if it was just for you. So yeah, so cool. For any of your clients or, you know, future clients, you have to remember who is the professional when it comes to web design. If you're going to a web designer to have a new, especially branding, an entire branding, you know, just step back, listen and trust the process because, you know, that's what, that's what we're hiring you for. Yeah, totally. So along that line, what, what were some of the things that maybe were like fears that you had about the process or, something like you said, you're kind of nervous to get started. What were kind of some of those fears and did any of them come true? Um, So really the only fear that I had going into the process was that I wasn't going to have the control over my blog that I was used to having. I was, you know, accustomed to just going in and making changes when necessary or updating plugins and, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, changing the homepage if I, you know, wanted to or whatever. And so that had me a little bit worried about having a custom thing, just that loss of control. But, you know, the there's been, I think there was a few times right in the beginning that I needed something taken care of, you know, just right at that first couple of weeks that we went live and you were there, you made sure things were running smoothly. And honestly, I don't even think about it anymore. It doesn't worry me. I don't have that fear. But yeah, that would be the only thing that I kind of had a little anxiety about going in was just control. You know, that's it. Yeah. I feel like I remember us talking about this and I I feel like I remember you using the word tinkering. Like you felt like you were always tinkering with your old site. Yes. So I'm curious, you know, because people who may haven't gone through this process don't know this, but we do try to build everything to where you can control the things that, you know, you're going to need to change out often if you have like a featured section or things like that. But I, I'm really curious from your perspective, like before when you had just kind of a pre-made theme that you would go in and update when you wanted to versus now, like, do you find that you need to update and tinker with things as much as you used to? So that's kind of the beauty of having you design my website is that I don't have to tinker. Like I don't have to, oh, well, maybe this will look better here. Or maybe I should put this here. Or maybe, you know, I should do this. Like when I say tinker, I mean, I wasted hours just trying to figure stuff out that is such a waste of time. Like I can't even stress that enough. So like the whole trying to design a logo, I mean, come on, like seriously, that's That is just taking away from all the other things that could really move the needle, you know, that I just don't even think about anymore. Like it doesn't even cross my mind. And that is just so freeing. And just, I can't even tell you how happy that makes me like to that. That's not a part of my work process anymore to make sure things look good. And you know, that, that kind of thing. So Yeah. And I think part of it too is there's probably a skill side of it, but I think there's also like, we spent a lot of time really thinking about what made the most sense from a strategy perspective. And so you don't have to change things as often because the strategy's set. Like we came up with what made the most sense for your homepage and your recipe index and all of those things. So there's less of a, let me experiment and tweak and like try this thing here for a little bit. Like 
and like you said, it's it's now able to free you up to spend more time creating content and to be thinking about what your readers need next, which is really the best use of your time at the end of the day, because that's the thing that you know the best, more so than, you know, branding or web design. So I love that. And so you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I would love to hear what have been Apart from, I guess, the results that you just shared, which is just like the mental freedom that you've had with not having to worry about tinkering with things. But what are some of the other results that you've seen from the redesign or some of the things that you feel like made the redesign worth it for you? So first of all, I get so many comments from readers saying how much they love the blog. They love coming to my blog. They love spending time there. And I've heard that a lot over the last couple of months. And Also, and this is kind of big, I think this is a big thing because I've been in this industry going on eight years now. And so this is the first time ever my numbers have gone up up month over month since January. So like normally I will kind of see a decline in numbers around, you know, I don't know, March, April, I'd have to go on analytics and really look at that. But typically after the baking season and the holiday season, numbers kind of start to go down, you know, and then we get into the summer slump. And, you know, like I said, if you've been in this industry for any time, a couple years, you kind of, I think most food vloggers go through that. So this is the first year my April page views are higher than December of 2021. Wow. And it's sourdough and it's baking. It's like, um, it just, to me, that's crazy. That has never happened to me. This is the first time that's ever happened in, this is my eighth year of blogging. So that's a big deal for me, at least. Because I just kind of, at you know, around March or so, I just kind of prepare myself that, you know, things were going to slow down and everything. But they haven't slowed down. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, my bounce rate has dropped. So there's, um, they're spending... People are spending a lot more time on more pages because I think the site's much easier to navigate. And, you know, that's obviously a good thing. So, so yeah, page views, they're going up. That's what we want, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that I will always say is, you know, I don't, and I know that you wouldn't say this either. It's not like the redesign itself is 100% responsible for that happening. But I think like you said, the fact that the site is easier to navigate, people like coming to it, they're going to remember it and come back to it. Those things are kind of those intangibles that will produce the results of more traffic, more, you know, people on the site, and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm so happy to hear that. And, you know, it's one of those things like, Obviously, that's a goal for you as the person redesigning, but you just never know what's going to happen. And so it's always nice to hear that, you know, all of the positive things have happened with the redesign for you. So love hearing that. Is there anything else that you want to share with food bloggers listening either about, you know, creating this niche site and what that can do for them or what a redesign could do for them and just kind of encouraging them about whatever that next like phase of their food blogging journey looks like? So if you are um, just starting out, I would highly recommend, you know, getting that target audience defined, really digging deep and having a niche within a niche. You know, don't go broad. You, I have this saying that I heard one time that riches are in the niches. Okay. You have to, if you, if you try to serve everybody, you serve no one. So 
that's pretty much that's that's my biggest advice to anybody new coming onto the scene that wants to be successful. You really have to to figure out how you're going to help people. And if you have a blog that's established and you're like me and you waste hours every week trying to figure out if you're doing it right, like and and you know, especially if you are with an ad company and you're making money, I'm going to say that I really wish I would have done it sooner. I really wish I would have invested in the redesign at least a year earlier. And, you know, I think it would have made all the difference in my workflow. You know, just I really believe that working with you and having this redesign, the whole process has really just opened my eyes as far as, you know, what I need to concentrate on, what I need to, you know, let go of or let other people do or and just it just really kind of brought me in and made me even more focused than I was before. Yeah, and I will say just knowing you and having worked with you like you are someone who works very hard at what you do. You're not someone who like is lazy about it. Like you have definitely have the work ethic behind it. So for you to say that it's helped you to like narrow in and focus even more, I feel like speaks volumes. And yeah, we're just so excited that we were able to work together. And I'm so excited to hear the results. And I hope that this episode is helpful for people who are maybe feeling stagnant and like, you know, debating whether or not to to pivot and maybe niche down or to really go out on a limb and invest in their business in this way or in any other way that is going to help further their goals. But at the end of the day, like if you take nothing else away from this episode, get to know your audience, learn what they're struggling with. They're not struggling to find new recipes. I think we can agree that that is like the summary of what people need to learn from this episode. And I'm just so excited that we got to to have you come on and chat about it. So I would love for you to just share real quick where people can follow along and connect with you and also get to follow all of your sourdough recipes because I know a lot of people that have started to follow them, including myself, even though my sourdough is a little bit neglected right now, but... <laughs> Well, you've got a lot going on right now. So yeah, my blog is littlespoonfarm.com. And on Instagram, it's littlespoonfarmblog. You can also find me on YouTube. I like to put full videos for all of my sourdough recipes on there. And that's Amy Duska. I think you can look, I think you can just Google Little Spoon Farm on there and you can find me. So that's where I spend most of my time is between, you know, Instagram and YouTube and obviously my blog. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to talk again. And <laughs> it's been a couple of months. So I'm excited to, to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. I know people will definitely learn a lot from hearing your story. And like I said, go check out her blog <laughs> if you need some sourdough tips, because actually multiple people on our team use your blog as a resource now. So I just love that that's out there for people. So thank you so much, Amy. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.